Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. Again, it's Stephen Wolf, and today we have Lane from the Butcher Shop in, and we're going to talk about some interesting stuff today, like why people keep screwing up Wagyu, and and it's twofold. Um, there's some issues with A, their breeding, and then B, with their husbandry, but more and more we're seeing problems, not just with Wagyu, but with all breeds. Uh, I think people are trying to push animals farther and faster than we ever have before. And I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing to do for these animals. So, Lane, how's the butcher shop been the last couple weeks? Butcher shop's been okay. Um, There's, like you said, there's people coming in and they're bringing animals in and they're not finished. Um, they're not fed out, they're not finished, they're not marbled. Um, you ask them about it and they'll say, well, feed is expensive, the hay is expensive right now, and we've just been using them on pasture, and we decided not to do any finished feeding, and that's where, um, the problem lies. And everybody has a different theory on feeding right now. Just based on on cost of feed right like correct and the cost of feed is getting to the point now where some of these people aren't able to afford it and right wrong or indifferent hay is expensive grains expensive everything in our consumer economy has really taken a big hit uh, with inflation there's a lady today that she came in and she brought a couple of cows and she was in tears and she says these are our last two cows that that we've been raising on cast from and we just cannot afford to feed anymore and so they're getting out of their dexter herd those are the last two cows she's in tears um you know we got her out of there as quick as she could because she was getting real emotional but they've been doing this for years um having their cutting meat or grazing good beef for their customers and she says and they can't understand why the costs have gone so high and they're not willing to pay for it and things and so she says we don't have any alternative but to get out because everything's got so expensive we just can't afford to find or supplement the supplement it for people anymore and the problem is is it's not that they've been supplementing a cost increase there is a definite point in the cattle industry where cost and and sell price definitely have to be and right now i think your inputs are far more than you're going to get on export on most things but here's the weird thing about it then you turn around you look at the grocery store and things are so expensive at the grocery store i'm not i'm not sure how exactly the economics work because it's not following a normal economic value it's following some make-believe trend that i think has just come around the last couple years i think that's real accurate to say and and this is the thing you know you look at theories and economics that there's really no theory to counteract what's going on right now like that's the problem uh, with a lot of things is that there really is no way to justify what's happening other than just market manipulation really yeah and there you're seeing that prices are going up and in some sectors 
But because they're going up in some sectors, everybody's saying, let's get on the bandwagon and go ahead and raise our raise our prices and things, the 8 to 10% what they're calling inflation right now, which is probably more if you add in gas and groceries and those kind of things. But I think everybody is uh, on that inflation bandwagon and just raising prices because they can. And here's the problem. You know, as a business owner, we run into this all the time because... You know, we're paying for bags, we're paying for labor, we're paying for all these things to to give the the people a service. And the cost of bags in the last three years have almost doubled, if not come close to two and a half times what they were when we started running Vacuum Pack. That's true. And, and I don't see an end in sight. I think that this is going to be the new norm for a while, unfortunately. But the problem is, is it leaves your end consumer with an issue. They're going to buy them a steer. They're going to buy whatever they're buying. It's really increasing the cost of getting the animal to their home. Let's face it, with our business, I mean, all the, all the wrap yeah. is plastic, right? An, oil, yeah. an oil-based product. And uh, petroleum-based product, and it's going up. And what do you do? And the weird thing is, the last about ten months, me and Lane have noticed something really interesting. Animals, uh, well, people who used to bring us stuff in certain a certain quality of animal, the animals they're bringing in today are not the quality they were a year and a half ago. No, they're not. They're they're getting them off the ranges. They're bringing them in early. They're short waiting them. Um, they're not feeding them, and they're just saying, we, it is what it is. And for a while there, we did a lot of, we do a lot of different breeds, but I have had Lane kind of keeping an eye on a few, a few specific breeds just because they seem to turn out so well. Uh, a lot of Dexters, a lot of low lines. We've kind of been tracking a little bit what they are based on their age and what they've been fed. And I did this because I wanted to know what, what we could do better maybe in our feeding program uh, compared to these smaller cattle because with the smaller cattle you get a, a much more refined feeding program they, they don't take as much intake and you can find out if a feed or a feed product is going to be beneficial or not and a lot of these low lines and dexters have been phenomenal in the past they have and what's real disappointing is lately um, people have been shorting them in, either in age or in feed, and shorting on either one of them gives us a less um, favorable carcass, but these people are doing both now, and uh, it's really affecting the, the bottom line on the that carcass. And here's the problem, guys. In order to produce a high-end quality animal, you've got to have three things. You've got to have a decent genetic profile behind it. Then you've got to be able to have proper handling and husbandry of the animal. That includes your feed. And finally, they've got to be old enough to be butchered. Like, for some reason in America, we keep driving down this whole rabbit hole of younger's better, younger's better. And and it's not. You know, most of these low lines and Dexters were coming in, what, 24, 26 months? Yeah. And now they're coming in way earlier than that. 16, 18 months. Yeah, yeah, and they've cut four months off of it. And a lot of guys with Wagyu problems that don't turn out to be a high-quality product, it's because they short them four to six months. I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest things we've learned is you have to be patient in your feeding cycle. And sometimes when you end up with 
food prices the way they are, even for your animals, it affects the long-term growth and the long-term quality of your product. So what can people do other than, you know, to try to fix it? It seems like we're going down the same vortex and uh, it just gets worse and worse. And the problem is, is cost. Everybody, Everybody has to break even, right? And there's a point there, and Wagyu especially have a problem because we've ha- we have them so long. We've got so much money tied up in the feeding, and you're not seeing a huge increase in value. And I'll tell you a little bit why. You know, I think that the value of Wagyu has kind of stagnated at a point because there's too much 50-50 Wagyu being pushed around that's of poor quality. Well, genetics, genetics, and genetics, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the problem is a lot of you guys out there, you you, you want to be in the industry and you want to do good things and you want to help the industry. And sometimes you're, your own, you're the industry's own worst nightmare because you don't do things to industry standard. Industry standard on slaughter of Wagyu is 36 months. And people that go short of that? They pay for it every time. And even on the F1s, I mean, we see people bringing them in at 18 months. We see people bringing them in at 20 months, 24 months. And it seems like they have to get 28 to 30 months to get the the worth of what they're doing. And they're and, just not And with the F1s, 24 to 28, I don't know. I, I struggle with them because I think they're an inferior product. I do think there's some F1s out there that are better than some people's full bloods. There are. We've seen it. But I also know that's due solely to genetics and the people that own them. You know, not shorting a feeding cycle, making sure that they're there every day to make sure the feed's there on time. Like, those things are important, and most people forget about that. Um, One of the hardest things is is when somebody brings us an animal that doesn't meet grade... And we look, we look at the genetic profile, and they don't even have a chance from there. Yeah. And just because it says Wagyu or you have a Wagyu bull doesn't mean it's a good one. I will tell you we've seen more bad ones than good ones, especially with the reds. But the blacks are every bit as bad. And even if you bring a Wagyu bull in to enhance your commercial herd, if the bull isn't good you're not getting much enhancement in that herd and and that's the biggest problem we're seeing right now is people assume oh i've got i bought a wagyu bull and it's going to make my herd better and i'm going to make more money the reality of it is is you're buying a bull that you have no clue what it's going to do for you well the other day we had i remember we had that lady tell us that they could get a wagyu bull that only had an eighth percent wagyu and could get yeah, Ama- amazing results with uh, yeah improving her herd. And yeah, bonus. and I'm, if I remember right, it was like a quarter wagyu or some nonsense like that. Like, but that's the problem with misinformation and undereducated producing buyers, right? Correct. And, and we see that in in the butcher shop all the time. You know, somebody drops off a, a Holstein, and then is mad when their yield is low. And I'm not saying Holstein don't provide a good meat source. I'm just saying their yields are not near what they need to be. Well, they're not a beef cattle. They're, no, no. They're dairy cow- cattle that people feed the steers and things. And 
and they produce some really marble, nice looking very, stuff, right? Very if good carcasses. They're fed right and things, but they also have the big bone structure. They have, you know, when they do when they do marble, they do put on a lot of fat on the outside. There's a lot that goes back into that bone barrel, um, and so they'll normally yield out about ten percent less than a beef beef carcass. But I would say their quality makes up for their loss. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't want to hear that, I'm sorry, but it, Holstein is by far, for a, a marbling breed, superior to most of your continental breeds. Especially everybody right now is pushing, oh, we have to breed to Angus, we have to bring to Angus. I'm going to tell you a secret. Some of the better F1s you'll see are out of shorthorn cattle. Oh. It's the truth. And, and a lot of people are just... Uh, I don't know if the word is ignorant or what, but they don't they don't want to be better. They want to do the same thing they do every year and hope for a better return rather than becoming 1% better every year. And that's where we've kind of, if we're not progressing with our herd, if we're not making our herd better than it was last year, we're falling behind. And that's where my OCD comes in a little bit. Um, I don't do middle ground. If I can't be the best at what I'm doing, I usually bow out quickly. And we kill enough animals for other people, and I see what our stuff looks like compares to them. and, And sometimes I wonder, as an industry... If we're not letting our new breeders down by not setting them up for success, well, if there needs to be a standard, Steve, uh, standard yeah. operating procedure, some kind of standard that these guys can go by and say, you know, if we can follow this, if we can do this, 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 it's going to give us a lot better odds of getting what we want rather than what we hope we get. And there is there is a lot to be said for that. I don't think you'll ever see it. I don't think you'll ever see that. It's like the day we had that guy come in and he was asking us about days on feed. Correct. And Lane learns this from me real quick. The first thing I ask them is, are you counting the days on feed from the day you put them in the feedlot or from the day they hit their feed ration? And most of them say from day one. Right. And here's the thing, guys. You know, you drop a bunch of steers into a pen, you've got a week, five to seven days where they're going to come off feed or not like the feed or not want the feed. And then every time you change their feed ration to a different growth point, you're going to lose a couple days in there because they're not going to like it or it's going to make them sick a little bit. It takes some acclimation time. So all those days have to be subtracted out of your days on feed. And what happens like when this year's been really strange here? We were cold, 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 and now we're 100 degree temperatures overnight. We went five days with one-third the consumption in the feedlot. And that affects our days on feet. Every time. And weather events. You get a big hot spell or you get a big snowstorm come in, you probably shouldn't count those days on your days on feet. They don't work. They're either going to gorge themselves so that they can stay warm or they're not going to eat because they're too hot. 
Another thing we've noticed that people don't do well is making sure they have clean, fresh water. Like, they give them water, but it's not... A human wouldn't drink out of it. Uh, we see a lot of poorly watered animals. And and that causes problems for Lane. You know, you get an animal that has a touch of dehydration, it's going to cut wet and soggy, and, and you're not going to get what you want out of the deal. And Lane's guys don't really like those kind of animals. No. Do you know what they hate even more than those animals? Hamburger bulls. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's something you guys don't understand. Lane, is it faster to cut a conventional Wagyu cut, like if you're just going to cut a F1 for somebody to go to their home, or a bull to grind? It takes us probably half as more time to do bull to grind. Yeah, and it's because you've got a lot of things going on. You've got to bone everything out. There's no bandsaw usage. Like, it's just, it's hard. So you guys who take cows and bulls in, you've got to remember, your your, your butcher shop's going to spend more time on that animal than if you would have brought a steer in for cut and wrap. And so that sometimes it's, they don't quite understand that, and they feel sometimes we should give them a break because it's just hamburger yeah give them a discount and really it's in all reality it should be the other way around we should charge a premium if always equal and fair right 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 and the one that gets me is when they want you to kill two cows and a bull and blend everything together and we do and uh and they get it they feel like they get a better ground beef product um they could do this same thing with adding a little bit of beef trim, fat, and things, and making their um, bowl a little less lean, and and get a little bit of uh, fat and uh, moisture in that meat, and it'd be fine. But people do what they they do because that's what they taught and that's what they believe, and more uh, they act more on what they believe than what they know for sure. But that's okay. That's uh, what they like, and that's what we do right the hard thing i have is is there's a lot of older older mentalities that have been passed down to people that they have no clue where it even came from right i need to have my cow hung for 30 days before you cut it and i look at the people and i'm like what would you like jerky at the end well that's been a that's been an interesting debate for a long time but that's what they used to do you know grandpa used to take his cows out and slaughter the cow and in the fall or early winter and hang it in the woodshed and then the family get together and cut it up and um there you go but with today's cooling techniques and things and as much dehydration you get in those coolers i'm farther ahead at cutting an animal at five days than ha- hanging it for 21 21- 21 days and there's not a significant um, amount of uh, tenderness increase just because of the dehydration that these coolers cause on the front end. If you saw the way our cooler uh, dispels water, we have to have it hooked into the main sewer line because it pulls so much water out of the air that... Like, if it wasn't hooked to a main sewer line, you'd ne- you'd be continually dumping buckets 24 hours a day. It pulls a lot of moisture. And, and some of that's air moisture, right? But the problem is, is some of it's 
animal moisture. Well, we figured, what, 2% per day of body carcass weight for the first five days and 1% after that for 21 days. Pretty close. So if you have 20, 20 days of uh, aging, you've lost 30% of um, yield weight on your animal. And And here's the thing. There's no better tenderness after five to ten days we found like day five and day ten the tenderness is the same it's rotted to the point of breaking down and that's what you're doing aging is just a, a rotting process and then it's the more it breaks down the more moisture it, it releases releases so it's actually becoming less tender than more tender and, and then you have the whole dehydration effect, right? So it's one of those hard deals that, that we run into quite a bit. The big ones that really, really hurt people, I think, though, are when they kill a bull or kill an old cow, and then next thing we know, they want to have a full custom cut. And that is, it's, we do it. We do it. But the meat is not, it's not marbled, it's not flavored, it's less tender. Um, it'd be better in ground beef, uh, but they do all the time. And uh, it, it, it also amazes me the amount of people that complain when they get at home. We give them what they ask for, and then they go home and complain because it was so tough. And it's never the fault of the raiser or the person who owns the cattle. It's always the butcher shop's fault. If anything's wrong in the world, just blame the butcher shop. That's I think that's the mentality of most people right now. A lot of times, yeah. You know, another thing we've noticed is butcher shops are not being near as loyal to customers as they've been in the past. That's been a, a boom to us right because um, people come from their other butcher shops and they I tell they tell us their horror stories whether it's uh, justified or not or just in their mind or not most of it's probably just in their mind or not uh, but we listen and we tell them we'll do them let's get get a job as we can and we talk with them and call them you know, before we do their animal, and we'll talk to them after we do it, and we just try and build it up as best we can, get as good a rapport with them as we can, and, uh, you know, hopefully in a year or two, they don't leave us, and uh, we become we can <laughs> become one of the, the many butcher shops that people aren't talking good about because of a bad experience or some something but most people's bad experience that they're having that we've seen so far has been self-inflicted yeah and and here's another weird one so this is a butcher shops problem i'll give you an example i'm i'm talking on the phone one day to a guy i know very well he's an older gentleman and he took a low-line beef and this is what he raises is low-line cattle he's done it for 20 years so he has a pretty good idea about what he should be receiving back for these steers because he has the same breeding same steers he takes it down has it killed and next thing he knows that the butcher shop's given him 
11 boxes? 7 to 11 boxes. Somewhere in there. He said it was 714 pounds. 714 pounds was the hanging weight. And he's like, there's just no way. And the butcher shop argued with him. In fact, he had... Wasn't he the one that went and weighed the yeah. beef live? Yep. And he actually got more meat back than it weighed than it weighed live yeah. so he take so this guy's pretty pretty hardcore because he wants to have all the data right so he's he's weighed the beef live he's taken it in and the 740 some odd pounds they gave him back was 30 pounds bigger than the beef was when it when it was live and he told the butcher that and the butcher argued with him for like 45 yep. minutes. If that your that name's, was his name. Yep. If your name's on it, it's yours. And, and the funny thing to me is, if you've ever seen a low-line cut-up, they got these itty-bitty ribeyes. And that poor dude went from hatchets to, to, to full-on battle-axe ribeyes in, overnight at a butcher shop. Oh, his yield was good. His yield was great. But, but he was upset, right? He was upset because he didn't get his animal back. And I think that's and and that's a USDA plant, guys. Like that is a an inspected plant. This happened at. And and my favorite part now is he calls it S and B Butcher Shop, and that's how he, he refers to them. And that's not what the butcher shop's called, but it, but but he goes, you know, that that's what he calls it, S and B. And oh man, I sit and laugh and laugh because. I can just see him arguing with the owner because we know the owner very well. Uh, and you know the two old and two guys were just arguing out in the parking lot like like two high school kids. And and but those are the things I'm talking about. Those are the things that as an industry you have to be able to manage. You have to have a good place to go. They have to be responsible and reliable. And we, you know, we've used the, this butcher shop a few times, and I don't feel most of the time they're responsible or reliable. But we, in the past, had to use them for different things. You know, another thing, Steve, that is unfortunate in the industry is I had a customer oh a few weeks ago. And I called him and uh, told him, I said, hey, sorry when my guys loaded your, your beef. They missed a couple boxes. Um, can I bring it to you? He said, no, I'm coming into town in a week or so. He says, I'll come and get it. And he says, it's really refreshing to be working with an honest butcher. See, and that's hard. And, and most, I believe that most of the guys out there are trying their best and sometimes because of not paying attention or their help not paying attention and things, boxes get misplaced or things like that. Or a customer thinks he has better than what he has and there's no communication at that time when you just get it out, uh, cutting through it and things. And, and so... When they get it at home and nothing said and things and they're unhappy with it, well, they must have changed switch beef with me or something. Guys, if you're working with your butcher, you have to, you just have to have a good relationship with them and be on friendly terms and talk with them and find out what your, what's going on with your carcass and stuff. You know, they'll be happy to talk to you about it. 
But uh, and let me let me give you a little piece of advice. Eighty percent of the problems in the butcher shop come from the employees. They are, and, and I don't think they maliciously try to cause problems. I think they're just lazy sometimes, or they, complacent as Lane complacent. Calls it. I I like the word complacent. Steve likes the word lazy. lazy. And 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 in my opinion, it is. If your job is to put a label on a package the same way every day and you go on vacation for a week and come back and you screw the first two things up and forget to put labels on any of the packages, that's just straight laziness. I have to agree there. Or don't give a damn, which is worse. Yeah, yeah. And I'd rather have lazy than not give a damn. Yeah. You know, and and really most of the problems Lane's ever had in the butcher shop have been due to employee mistake. Here's the other thing. I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me that, that he loves the butcher shop he goes to because the butcher locks the freezer up so the employees won't steal meat. <laughs> well, we've, we've done the same kind of thing, right? I mean, we don't lock the freezer, but when we do our beef and things like that, we always make sure our employees have meat. Correct. Because if we're giving them meat, they don't have to steal meat. Right. And we pay them well. That's the other thing. I would per per se that we have the highest payroll per employee anybody in our valley. I would agree. And and the reason is, is I come from other businesses, and if you don't pay your help, they either won't stay or don't want to work for you. And, and that's why we pay good. We want our employees to have some things. We want them to be able to go on that vacation with their family or be able to afford to go fishing when they have time off. And once in a while, it's nice for them to have a little bit of security. Well, man, I've got some hamburger in that freezer, and I don't have to go to the store and buy hamburger. I don't have to go to the store to buy a steak or a roast because they've got it. And we've done some other things that a lot of butchers, I think, would refuse to do. If our employees have an animal and they're willing to come in and, and, and they have the skills, right? They're, they're doing it all the time. If they want to come in on the weekend and cut one up at their own, we, we don't charge them. We charge them, like, material cost, right? But we don't charge them to process their own animal. And we'll let them do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the benefit of it is is that they're there doing that for us every day. What's wrong with us letting them do it one time? Yeah. It is what it is. And a lot of guys don't think that, that we should do that ever. But it, for me, it's more important to keep the employees ha- healthy and happy than it is not having any. Because let's face it, there's always going to be that conflict between uh, employer and employee. Always. Steve and I always talk about it. He, sometimes I think he's a little too hard. Sometimes, well, most of the time he thinks I'm a little too soft. But we talk about that and we learn. And uh, and I would say that he's probably more correct on his side of it than I am on mine. And uh, yeah, but, that, but that comes from me managing people most of my life. Right, I, Lane. Lane didn't get to manage a lot of people in his working career, and he's now doing it, and and it's like crash course in employees. And Lane was the employee for so long that sometimes he sides with 
their point of view rather than the point of view of one, you know, the business has to survive and be profitable over the employees getting something they want sometimes. Yeah. Or just expectations. See, when, when you tell them that something needs to be done and then they say, yes, sir, yes, sir, and then you come back the next day and it hadn't been done, that just cooks my grits. And the problem is, is you got to remember, guys, Lane's in his 60s. So when he grew up and the people he grew up with in that generation, if somebody told you they were going to do it, I tell they get it done. And I tell Lane all the time, you expect them to have the same integrity you have, but they don't. They were not taught that. And, and our, our crew's young. They're young. You know, I think... And our, we're trying to teach them, right? We've yeah. been trying to mentor them and things, and we have a lot of... I have more patience than you do, but... You tell me I have to. Ha- I have to. <laughs> well, and, and Lane helps him not only with just like work stuff, but he ends up helping him with life skills sometimes. And I find that some of the people that work in the butcher industry, I come from the finance industry, right? So it's a whole nother ball game. You know, my day to day activity and the people I hang out with, most of them are are very successful and they've done a lot of things in their life. And then I go to the butcher shop and it's it's a different kind of thing than I'm used to. And it's a different kind of thing that I had to get used to again because I wasn't... No, and he got out of that group, right? And now he's coming back in and, and coming back in as a manager to a bunch of young young kids. And, and let's be honest, these Generation Z kids, and which is almost all of our employees... Yeah. Uh, we've got one, one I would call, he's older, so he's in his 50s, 40s, 50s. 40s. Uh, then we got 20s from there on out. Yeah. Oh, you know, older 20s, like we have a few 20, you know, going to be 30 in a couple of years, but mainly in that 20 group, and they just, they just have learned a different pattern of, of skill. And the skill is... Let's do as little work as possible, and I want paid the full amount. And I think that, the, I don't know where they figured this out at, but that, that's what I feel like we see sometimes. Yeah, some days I feel like working hard, and some days I don't. You know, you know I, let's flip a, flip a coin, which one? And, and sometimes it's let's not flip a coin, we're just not going to do anything for a week. Yeah. I woke up this morning and I have a headache. I'm not going to go to work. Yeah, that that just doesn't fly. And and that's the problem, you know. We're kind of we're kind of the difference in a lot of different generational things that Lane's had to deal with is is I feel like a lot of these kids that are in their early twenties, uh, they reminded me of what what I was like at twelve. And that's that's how I feel. And you can take it how you want, but that's the reality. There are better ones out there, but they're not going to be working in our butcher shop, I can tell you that much. They're going to be working in the finance industry or in, oh, you know what I'm saying? They're not going to come work at the butcher shop. Yeah, but what, what the people that we have at our butcher shop. They're great. They're, they're good people. Yep. And they work hard sometimes. They, they work hard <laughs> when, when they're pushed. Yeah, and you have to have constant management. Like, if you, there's not constant management, there's not constant work. And, and one of the hard ones is is teaching them that they can talk and work at the same time. 
Yeah, we 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 go through drills like that. Yeah. I'll start talking and I'll be looking over and I'll say, "So can you make your hand work the same time your mouth's working?" Yeah, and, and they'll look and I'll say, "Well, if you can't, if you're gonna do one or the other. Keep the hand working." Yeah, and and that's just how it is, and and that's that's part of the game, I guess. So. Uh, the problem is too is my ability to handle the nonsense sometimes is pretty lacking. I I have zero tolerance, and it's because the people I deal with in my other businesses and things like that that I do, I'm I'm in charge, and everyone knows that, and everyone understands my expectation, and I very rarely have to do anything besides set the initial expectation. Until you got a meat shop. Until I got a meat shop. And Lane told me from the beginning that this was going to be the, a different experience than I've ever had in my life. And he didn't believe me. I, I didn't. I figured that people are people, but I didn't realize. And the hard part is, is they're good people, right? Don't take me wrong by saying what we're saying. They're great people, and I'm so glad we have them, and I'm very grateful that we have them. But sometimes managing them is hard. And sometimes helping Lane manage himself gets hard. <laughs> but we're we're doing we're doing good. I yeah. I've been excited about this meat shop the whole time. I am now. I haven't, you know. Uh, it's a bunch of fun to go there and and talk to people, and work with clients, and work with these kids, and and try and teach him some life skills uh, I was a scoutmaster for a dozen years and and uh, and some of the life skills we've taught these 12 and 13 year old boys these these kids just don't have them they just don't have them and uh, and so trying to instill some of these life lessons that should have been learned while they were young adolescents when they're in their twenties, um, it's hard for them to get it sometimes, and it's hard for them to understand why what they're doing is not working. You know, it's part of the game. And and here's the thing, though: Lane has filtered through some people through the shop that 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 go from extreme laziness to unwilling to work. And that's the truth of it, you know. He had a guy show up one day, and what did all he wanted to do was cut roasts and grind hamburger. He didn't want to do nothing else. But we had a person to grind roasts and cut hamburgers, so is what it is. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, employment's hard, and, and you guys out there that are starting organizations, at some point you're going to have to have some form of help, some employee help, and, and where are you going to find it? That's something you probably should think about. And if you find good help, pay them. even pay them. And even if they have don't have many life skills, if they show up to work every day, and they don't complain most of the time, and they get stuff done that, most of the time, that's a good employee in my book at the butcher shop. Um, is it you know? Are they? A-type personalities and gonna succeed no matter what. Well, if coming to work 
and getting home safely at the end of the day is an accomplishment for them, they've succeeded. Right. That, that's all they're that's all they're after is that paycheck. And Lane, that took Lane a little while to understand. Yeah, it did because I've always been very interested in the businesses that I've been part of, and uh, I treat them like it they were mine. And uh, and uh, I don't understand the mentality of it's just a job. I I'm just after the paycheck. And Lane's generation, you know, the baby boomers out there, you guys all looked at your employment as a way to take care of your family. Those were the people taking care of your family. You were working for them, but they were providing the funds available for your family to exist. And I don't think the younger generation looks at it like that anymore. I don't think they do. One of my favorite stories is Lane's been having problems with gloves. (laughs) I would have never thought that uh, vinyl or um, poly 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 neoprene. Yep, gloves. Polynitrate gloves. Yeah, polynitrate gloves would have been my number one expense <laughs> in the butcher shop. Uh, oh, it, uh, and he's not joking. So like, it became our number one expense because we bought good gloves for these guys, so they could put these gloves on and wear them all day. Over their they cut would, gloves, they wouldn't. They wouldn't break on things, and all they had to do is keep them clean that day and get a new pair the following day. But every time these guys would take their gloves on, whether they went to lunch or to the toilet and things, instead of taking them off and doing what they were doing and putting them back on and using them for the day, they'd exchange gloves five, six, seven times a day. That's before lunch. I would say that was... I watched a dude one day show up and put five pairs of gloves on one time, each end. Yeah. Just stacked them up. And so... I told him, I said, I'm not buying the good gloves anymore. You guys... If you want to buy them, feel free. But I'm buying these little vinyl, little thin vinyl gloves if you're going to change them four or five times a day, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I bought a year's worth. <laughs> well, and, my, and my expenses went down like three quarters. Well, and think about this. Lane bought six months worth of gloves and they were gone in four weeks. Six months worth of gloves and gone in four weeks. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So, anyway, so sometimes uh, you got to watch stuff like that. But, but it all goes back to like making sure that your operations fit and sound and and, and we've kind of gone off in the weeds a little bit but we started with this morning but those are important things you've got to remember from a consumer standpoint that the poor butcher has to deal with he doesn't just make money hand over fist because and it's just the easiest thing in the world you know you watch these guys lift carcasses and some of the cuts I've seen you're like wow that sucks well remember when we had the guy that had uh his own Idaho cut. Oh, yeah. Great. Great. And then you have the people who design their own cuts of meat. It's it's quality. And they and they take it off the very most... Terrible te- part. Terrible part of the whole animal and expect people to be happy with that. Oh, and leave the silver skin on it. Oh, yeah. Didn't trim it. No. And they called it the Idaho cut because it kind of looked like the state of Idaho. 
And and the problem is that Slane didn't catch this for like a month. <laughs> like a whole month. Like no damn clue that this was well, happening. At least it was just on elk. It was on elk, which is okay-ish, oh, I guess. But And that's the thing. Like When you start a new business, I'm going to tell you, stuff isn't going to work out all the time in the, in the beginning. And there's going to be days where you just sit there and wonder why you did this. And and it is what it is. The same group of guys tried to have a coup and get everybody to quit once. Too, oh, that was so. that was that was that was shortly after the Idaho cut incident. Yeah, but, but it is what it is, right? Like we all run businesses. We all understand that employees are hard, but don't compound your problems by doing doing things yourself that cause more problems. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that I'm learning is. Be, it's okay to be a mentor to these kids and things, but I have to be the boss first. Right. Uh, if there's no leadership, there's nowhere for these kids to learn how to follow and, and do the things necessary to be successful, even after they've left the shop. And we hope some of these kids have a great future after the shop that yeah. this is just a jumping off or or a, or a spot where they needed to make some money while they were in school yeah so we'll help them with school we'll help them succeed we'll do whatever we can to help make them successful but guys do your job and sometimes being successful somewhere else is successful for you <laughs> that is one of my favorite quotes to say to people that that are not working out i am sorry you are not being successful here i will help you be successful somewhere else and we've only had to do that once or twice yeah yeah it's really not been very often we're really lucky that way but at the same time you know it's a needed thing i think that these people were better off wherever they landed um, you know, so so let's roll back to your cattle, right? So every time Lane has a problem with cows, he calls me, it seems like, and I ask him the three questions, and they're the same three questions. How old was the animal? How long was it fed for? And what was it fed? And when I mean by what was it fed, what and how often and what the duration was. And most of the time, go back to the people and you ask them those three questions and they're not really sure on question number three yep and most of them don't even know question number one how old is the animal oh yeah well it's somewhere between here and here okay that's a pretty big range usually a six month range is what we get <laughs> six months is a lot when it comes to feeding cattle the genetics part, you know, you ask them, you know, what the genetics of the animal, like, what is it? And they can usually tell you, but most of the time, it's really interesting to me. They don't understand the genetics that they have, even the Wagyu guys. Yeah. You know, you bring me in a, a high Kadeka line cattle with a lot of Tatori on the top end, and you're expecting it to be a marbling machine. It, it's not going to happen. You bring me some red cattle, some red Wagyu cattle with a lot of Tamaru and Shugmaru in it. Me and Lena know right away. When we find out what the breeding is, that the likelihood of you getting your, your output successfully is really short and is probably not going to happen. And then you do the mistake of short feeding them or not having good husbandry skills 
and you've compounded your own problem and you're the problem, not the animal. And I tell this to Lane all the time because Lane goes with me everywhere. It goes with the cows everywhere we go that I spend more time putting together breeding plans than I do anything else in the game. It takes me 10 months sometimes to get together a breeding plan. And, and it is what it is. It takes 10 months sometimes, guys, for me to get together what we're going to breed to the next year. And then sometimes as you get looking at that, you you scratch it out and you start all over. Right. Especially if we have opportunities like with embryo transfer, right? I am very careful what we breed our animals to because I don't want to ruin what we've built up. We've got to a certain point now, and I don't want to go backwards. So, you know, I call a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people both here and in Australia and, and some people down in South America I know that have used some different animals. And I call around and I talk to everyone or I email them and have them send me some information so that I know what to expect from certain sires. And so far it's been pretty successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had a couple duds. Yeah, we've had a, everybody. I mean, does. we let's be honest about yeah. it. Every everybody who sees these amazingly perfect cattle that looks so great, you've got to remember those are the extremes. Nobody, you know, everybody shows you your their extremes, but nobody wants to show you their failures. Well, we were talking about today earlier that even the the best three to four percent of the white goo herd in Japan, they're an oven. Anomalies. Yeah, yeah. The top, the very top meat that we see in America or in Japan when they get these beautiful pictures are a small percentage of the total cattle killed, full blood wagyu cattle killed in Japan. And and the same thing. And then, like you said, nobody wants to see the anomalies on the low end. And and I told Lane, me and Lane had a long talk about this today. I would I need to know what our anomalies are at the low end because if we can do 10% better every year on our bottom end, it lifts our graft up total XY axis. Think about it. If you're always working to make your bottom better, your top's going to improve too. And that's that's an important thing. You're, you're trying to make sure that that top end gets better and better all the time. And the only way I know how to do that is to improve the bottom end. Yeah. You know, you fill your holes and, and, and move on. Yeah. And a lot of guys don't do that. Or, or here's the other one that I don't get. We have people all the time that bring us animals, but never request any data back. Never. I haven't had anybody request data back. And, and they know we take it. Like, they know that we take data all the time. They know it. But I've, I've yet, like, yet to been asked for any data back. We use the shit out of it, but <laughs> we, we use it as, as if it's a good carcass, we put it in the good carcass category. If it's a bad carcass, we put it in the bad carcass category. And we see what similarities come from all the black, all the, the work. They're not terrible. They're just not as good as the other carcasses. Yeah. So it's weird to me that they don't ask for that information back. And you can notice, Steve, that the people that bring in good carcasses... They consistently bring in good carcasses. Yeah, it's a husband. It's how they're running their operation. Right? 
And the people that bring us poor carcasses continue to bring us poor carcasses, and they think they're doing a bang-up job. And then this is the part that always throws me off. The ones that are doing the best always are asking questions. How is our carcass? Do you think we could have done anything better? The ones that think they have the best carcasses and oftentimes have terrible carcasses, they don't want to hear anything you say. Because they've got it all figured out. It's like that one guy told us, uh, the old guy we sold the bowl to him. He, he lives in an area that, or raised in an area, there was a lot of Swedish people in it. And he says... Norwegians. Norwegians. Yep. Norwegians. He says, you can tell a Norwegian, but you can't tell him much. <laughs> and that's kind of what it, it's like. You know, they don't want to hear, they don't want to listen. And so, you know, why, why waste the energy, and, right? And another thing, guys, you know, when you start feeding cattle... You can feed two ways. You can feed long, or you can feed a pushed ration. But we still need to get these cattle old enough and mature enough to be slaughtered. And I think long-fed rations are probably your best option. You don't have to pound it to them, but if you fed them over their lifetime most of the time, I think you'd be ahead, rather than trying to speed the process up and kill them younger. Yeah, I think you'd be ahead. Start it earlier. Yeah. Start your feeding program earlier. Um, and just don't feed them as much. If you're worried about costs, feed them less for a longer duration. And feed some filler, right? Yeah, you've got to be careful with that, though. And a lot of people don't understand that either. So when you get a ration set up, it is balanced for proteins and minerals and nutrients and vitamins to make the animal do a certain thing. And, and a lot of people don't understand that you have grow rations, you have maintainers, you have expanders, you have finish rations, and they're all very different. And some people try to feed the same ration across the entire feeding spectrum. Yeah, we, we have a ration as they're coming off their moms to yeah. when they're getting older, to they're developing their skeleton, to developing their, their muscle mass, to developing a finish. And I mean, that, it's changing, but it's and peculiar. it's changing. It's changing incremental, incrementally over time too. They're going to eat more because they're getting bigger. So we have to have bigger loads of mix, and there's a lot to it. And a lot of people just don't understand that you can't just go bag a buy a bag of sweet feed and feed that to be the most optimal and successful. I think you could do well if you fed sweet feed all the time, but I, I hope that you have a small trove of gold under your under your bed, as expensive as it is, because you're going to need it, you know. And, the, and here's the other thing, guys. We need to ma- manage our sugars and starches. We need to manage those things, and a lot of people ask, how, well, how are we going to do that? The easiest and, and cheapest way is to go out and have a nutritionist in your local area come out and see you. And it may be a little bit of a cost on your front end, but it sure will pay dividends uh, on your I don't think so, end. because most of them will come out and do a lot of that feed analysis for free. Okay. And give you the first ration. You're going to have to buy some product from them, right? They're going to sell you some product, but hell, even if you had to spend $5,000 in product, it'd be worth it. You know, a lot of guys are going on and they're getting um, stuff from Horner and things like that, or things they find online, and, and that's a good option too. You know, pre-mixes are always a good option if you don't know. 
Uh, your cheapest way will be getting a nutritionist and buying bulk feeds, learning how to mill them yourself. And, and most guys don't have enough Wagyu to really need to make huge batches, right? They could pre-mix it themselves and probably do okay. But let's just make sure that they're on feed long enough and that people are are making sure the cattle are old enough when they kill them. Yeah. You know, and that, that's really the takeaway from today is, is you know, be good to your butcher because he has to deal with some hard employees sometimes. <laughs> and 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 be good to your cows. Make sure your husbandry is up to snuff. Be good to your cows. Yeah. I mean, they're... And I will tell you guys, if you're beating a cow to load it, that's the first thing the butcher sees when he peels that hide because it is very blatant. If you're using a hot shot on them, be prepared to lose some some weight on your on your meat getting back. And uh, good luck with the cortisol effect. Oh yeah, yeah, that cortisol effect will be terrible. Good luck with that. And that right there can ruin a carcass in itself. Makes a carcass tough, or make it chewy, or makes makes the hemoglobin burst. Or there's so many problems with cortisol. Get a dark cutter out of the deal. That'd be terrible. Remember our first Wagyu that had a little cortisol problem, oh, as purple yeah. as purple could be? Oh, it was, it was terrible. That's when we ate. That's the first, yeah, that was the first one, and we ended up eating it. And, and it had a funky metallic taste the whole time. That's the weird part to me. You start getting dark cutters, and it changes the profile of the meat. Uh, it, it had a funky metallic taste every time you cooked it. Uh, it is what it is, but... I wasn't very impressed. No, I'm wondering what kind of stress that our friendly butcher down the road uh, put on that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. For it to have that dark, like, and when we say purple, it was, it looked like a grape on the outside. And it never did bloom. Nope, it wouldn't bloom. I almost wonder if they cut that and left it out on, on their bench for too long before they packaged it for us. No, remember because we went and looked at it. it. But but no, that's why I wonder if it didn't bloom. Uh, is that they left it out on the counter to package it too long? That's another thing, guys. The reason we use vacuum packer is so that we can get it in the package as quick as can as we can to save the bloom as much as we can for for you. Yeah. You know, it's not just sitting it, on our counter take, all day. Yeah, you take the air out of it and goes to a purple color again. And then when it hits the oxygen, it just blooms up nice and fresh and pink and red like it's supposed to be so you know that's those are things to kind of keep on the radar you know let's make sure we feed our animals let's make sure we get them to maturity state and let's make sure that our husbandry is top-notch so that we can give a top-notch product to the next people they, they get the product because really that's that's who you are to your to your clients well, i've had fun today steve and yeah it's been a good day today so when, when we do this literally a lot of days we just figure out, well, I just show up and throw things out in front of people and start asking them questions, and that's how the podcast's done. And it's been pretty successful so far that way. Uh, there are a few things you pro- we probably should, like when we get into a Sean and that, we kind of script it a little bit. Script's not the right word, but kind of have a, a plan of what we're talking about because it's so scientific and it's hard. Some of this other stuff's just fun. It's fun because we know enough about it and been around it enough that it's that it's something we're doing now. So. And the best thing about it all is as you guys continue this journey, it's a journey of learning as you go. You're yep. going to have some 
successes that you're going to be really excited about and then you're going to do some things and you'll think why was i what was i thinking yeah or how did this turn out so bad that's that's one i often ask is how did we get to here and you have to go back through that process and uh and if you don't write stuff down and you don't keep track of your stuff you will never find where the hump in the road was or the diversion that could have caused the problem yeah. Especially in feeding. And luckily we've we've uh, learned feeding from people that knew more about oh, feeding yeah. than we do. You know, my new but we uh, trust them. And my nutritionist, he set up the original Snake River Farms program. Like the dude's been feeding Wagyu longer than almost anyone I know. And we trusted him. We did what he said, what he asked. We didn't try to outthink him. Yeah. And and that's hard too, you know. If you've got some feeding experience, sometimes your own your own knowledge will get in your way. I heard a quote not too long ago. I've never let my education get in the way of my learning, and and that's a pretty good a pretty good philosophy to live by. And but that sometimes that gets in Steve's way. Oh yeah, very much so. Probably more so than he'd like to admit, but it does. Because he's a very, very intelligent man, and he studies, and he researches, and he knows, and he gets an opinion, he forms an opinion, and and uh, it's hard for him to back down on that sometimes. But I've seen him do it time and time again. And the hard part is, is when you when you have fancy degrees, um, sometimes. It, it impairs your ability to reason as well as you would possibly like. Like, you know that you're not being rational, but because you have all these cool letters in front of your name, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to recirculate your thesis and idea. Especially if it's a big change. Yeah. Little stuff, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. But big stuff, it's hard sometimes. It, it is definitely a challenge. But I've seen I've seen that struggle from time to time, and he, you know, I don't like doing it. And and he'll, you know, agonize over it, and then finally he'll come and say, "This is what we're gonna do." I'm also the guy that took two and a half years to buy a new truck. So just put that in there. I looked. Full time, probably ten hours a, a week, if not more, until I found a new truck to buy. For two years, it wasn't a new truck, Steve. It is a brand new truck for me. Fourteen thousand miles, King Ranch edition, all the bells and whistles you'd ever could ask for. It was a new truck, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the year new. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the the year new, but I guarantee I have less miles on that truck than most people had on their new ones they were buying. Exactly, and we could get it with COVID because it didn't have a chip problem. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was pretty cool. Was I pretty I should have cool. bought the truck two a different truck two years prior, and if I if I wasn't such an indecisive person, sometimes I would have bought a brand new one two years prior. But it just sometimes happens. Jesus likes you sometimes. That's right. Well, we're going to leave you with that today, and we're going to end this episode of What's New in Wagyu, and hope to see you next week. See you guys. We sit.
said yes ma'am and yes sir Cause a good whooping still worked And if we talk back we got it again Back when kids got in fights They didn't use guns or knives A bloody nose was as far as it went And we all ate our suppers With a daddy and a mother At the table without the TV Yeah, that's how it was And that's how it still ought to be Yeah, the world was much safer You could count on your neighbor And a stranger was someone you just hadn't met yet And we trusted our preachers Our heroes and teachers And believed every word that they said There was no credit crunch And gas wasn't so much and her jobs hadn't gone overseas Yeah, that's how it was And that's how it still ought to be Someone you just hadn't met yet And we trusted our preachers Our heroes and teachers And believed every word that they said We followed the good book Now every time I look back I sure do like what I see yeah, that's how it was And that's how it still ought to be Yeah, that's how it was And if you're asking me Well, that's how it still